Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Again, good morning, and as we're uh, here in this first Sunday in March, um, singing Spirit Come. And we've continued in wrapping up today this series, The God I Never Knew, in which we've been learning about the Spirit, about the Holy Spirit, and some of the ways He works in our, in our lives. We've been doing this by looking at the first eight chapters of the, the book of Acts. And, and this week, we are, in, in our videos, looking at chapter eight uh, that you can access in your groups or uh, through uh, Right Now Media on your own. Uh, and, and this morning, we're just going to focus on the latter part of chapter 8 and, and see a very powerful example of how the Spirit leads us in our journeys for those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ. The cool thing is the Spirit doesn't have just one way of leading us. The, the Spirit can lead us through Scripture. And this is probably the most common way He does lead us. As we read Scripture, uh, the, the Spirit which wrote the Scripture through human hands, uh, inspired it, speaks to us. And sometimes we feel something or we, we notice something or something jumps out at us as we're studying Scripture, and that's the Holy Spirit at work. The Spirit can also lead us through teachings or, or conversations with others. Uh, sometimes after the service, someone, someone will come up to me and say, you know, you were speaking to me this morning. When you say that, what I know is that I'm not that smart. I, I, I don't know, for most of you, I don't know your life that well. I don't know what's going on in your life. But the Holy Spirit does. He lives in those of you who are believers and those of you who are not. He is with you and watching over you. And He is there to, to help you hear what you need to hear. And so it's so cool when, I, when, when you say that because, again, I know it's not me. I know it's him at work. But it can also happen in a conversation with, with someone else. As you're talking, you, you have this impression or you have this sense that I need to do something. When, and you get the sense that God is in it. I had that experience when I first felt called to ministry. I was uh, at a youth ministry conference at what's now the old what was the old Adams Mark Hotel on the west side of Houston. And I'd run into a friend from high school, a guy that I hadn't really seen probably in 10 years. And I, I didn't even know he was in ministry. It was near the end of the day. And uh, we were talking about his ministry because he was in, in working in a, a youth ministry, a parachurch ministry. And suddenly I had the sense within me, you could be doing this. Now, that was not what I wanted to hear. You know, I, I was interested in making money and, and getting ahead in this world and all the things that the world counts. And so my first thought was, no way, that's crazy. But the Spirit used that conversation with my friend and opened up additional opportunities for the Spirit to continue to speak to me. And, and in fact, it points us to the third way the Spirit leads us, and that's through direct communication speaking directly into our lives, which we sometimes call leadings of the Holy Spirit. As I was reading this week, I came across something that, that John Ortberg, a pastor on the West Coast, and, and Dallas Willard, one of the great um, uh, 
folks who help people think through spiritual growth and spiritual disciplines in their lives, they, they had an interesting insight. I'd never kind of thought of it this way before. They, they said communication is really just affecting somebody else's thoughts. When we talk about communication, it doesn't matter what kind of communication. It could be a, a communication on television. It could be communication between two people. Whatever it is, when you're communicating with somebody, part of what they're doing is causing you to think certain thoughts that you otherwise wouldn't be thinking. They open the door to your mind to new things or different things that had not occurred to you. Those thoughts go into our heads and and we don't even think about it. But somebody else is prompting them and that's communication. If, If it was only your thoughts, it wouldn't be communication. So it's when somebody else says something like that that it happens. And for us, human beings, we only communicate through concrete means to, to affect one another's thoughts. I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm making sounds with my voice that hopefully most of you understand. And it's leading to you have thoughts that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have. Like, is it lunchtime yet? When's he going to be finished? You know, um, the same thing happens when we write things down using symbols we call letters. And as you read them, it, it prompts thoughts. You think about something as you read what you or somebody else wrote. That's exactly what happens uh, with Scripture. But God is able himself to directly guide thoughts into our minds. He he doesn't have to use sounds or, or symbols. He can, and he does, but he's not limited to that. He can communicate directly into our minds with no outward obvious means. And of course, We've got to realize that thoughts can come from other means too. And so we need to spend time with God through things like reading our Bibles, through prayer, through worship, through spending time with, with other Christians and Christian mentors to both discern how to hear his voice and discern when that voice is from him and not some other. But if we're doing that, it's amazing what God can do in and through us. And, and we see that this morning in Acts chapter 8. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be starting in just a moment in verse 26. And because we're developing this habit of bringing our Bibles to church with us, we want to hold up our Bibles, print or digital. Just hold them up. There you go. That's it. All right. We're, we're working on that more and more so that we can use God's Word and, and be committed to it. So, Last week, we looked at chapters 6 and 7, and there was a story primarily of Stephen and how he was stoned to death for his faith. We come to chapter 8, the very first verse says that on that day then, that day that Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out out against the church at Jerusalem. Now, this persecution wasn't by the Romans. That would come years later. This persecution of the Christians was by the Jews. And all except the apostles, it says, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And it sounds like a real setback for the church. Because all these new disciples, suddenly they're rushing out of Jerusalem to avoid persecution by the Jews. Luke, who is the writer of Acts, along with the gospel, tells us that they're, he says in that verse, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. Now, When I say that, for some of you, that expression may sound familiar. It should, because that's exactly what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came. Obviously, no one imagined it would be through persecution that it would lead that 
to happen. But if you look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's what they've been doing up to this point. They've been witnessing in Jerusalem. But then he says, Jesus says, and in all Judea and Samaria, Judea and Samaria, those are the exact same words that, that Luke is telling us in, in chapter 8. And then finally, to the ends of the earth. And we'll, in fact, if you read on past chapter 8, that's where you will see that come into play. And no one is here saying, and no one was saying at that point that the stoning of Stephen to death was a good thing. Please, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, even when good comes out of it, that's not, doesn't mean it was a good thing. But God used that action for the sake of the spread of the gospel. And one of the individuals who left Jerusalem was another of the deacons whom we saw selected in Acts chapter 6. His name is Philip. And, and first, God uses Philip up in Samaria. And when I say up, I, I mean going north, okay, from, from Jerusalem. But God has more work for Philip to do, and that's where we kind of want to pick up this morning in verse 26. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, it seems safe to assume it was pretty easy for Philip to discern an angel of the Lord. The, the, this was something supernatural, amazing, and so... God is speaking to him through the angel of the Lord, so he does. So he's been up here in the, in the region of Samaria, perhaps even in the town of Samaria here. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Dead Sea. Here's the Mediterranean. Here's Jerusalem right here, sitting in this mountain range. And Samaria is coming down off those mountains. And he's told him to go down to a road between Gaza and Jerusalem. And... Um, we have to assume he probably went this way, probably did not go back through Jerusalem because of the persecution there, but comes down along the plain and catches the road somewhere out in this area as it's coming out of Jerusalem to Gaza, headed toward the Mediterranean. And so he starts out, verse 27, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So here's this royal official. He's come all the way to Jerusalem to worship. A distance, as we look at a map here of, of yeah, there we go. Okay, here's Africa. Here's Jerusalem right up here. Here is Ethiopia, both modern day Ethiopia, but also in the time of Jesus down in this area, in the Horn of Africa. And this distance is about 500 miles, maybe a little more, by, by ground. So this is perhaps the exact path he took or something very similar to that. And uh, a good distance of, of at least 500 miles. And so assuming a chariot could do around 25 miles a day, because this is not one of those ones like Ben-Hur where, you know, you're up there, you know, fight or something like that. They're not racing. They're making, they're making their way from one place to another. They've got it. The horses have got to make the whole way. And so it would have probably taken about three weeks in each direction for this Ethiopian to make the trip. Three weeks up to Jerusalem, some time there to worship near and around the, the temple, and then three weeks back. And so now we're at this point where he's headed back to Ethiopia. He's probably a day, two days, maybe three days out from Jerusalem, 
headed on this desert road toward Gaza uh, on the Mediterranean coast. And Philip himself has come south from Samaria, probably along the coastal plain, to reach this road. And, and if you notice in the scripture, that's all that, that Stephen, I mean, that, that uh, Philip knows. Philip doesn't know how far he's supposed to go. He just knows that he's supposed to go to this particular desert road. He, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. There's no mention, am I supposed to preach? Am I supposed to fix something? Am I supposed to go to somebody's house? And there's no mention of whom. Who, if anyone, is he looking for? I mean, Philip doesn't know anything. He is simply being obedient. He has felt through the Holy Spirit, he's seen the angel of God tell him to go south, to this road. God has arranged this whole event, timing Philip's arrival on this road as the Ethiopian is riding by in his chariot. And, and, and we read that the Ethiopian's reading out loud in, in the book of Isaiah. Now, we'll see in just a couple of moments, verse 32 of this passage, that he is reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, which come, would, were coming to be understood as a prophecy about the Messiah, which Jesus fulfilled on the cross in his death. But it's at this very moment after Philip has been, Philip's been traveling for days without a clue about what he's supposed to be doing that he senses the Holy Spirit speaking to him. The Spirit tells him, verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. He doesn't say start a conversation. He doesn't say who's in the chariot. Nothing. He just says go and stay near it. That's all he says. And so as Philip draws near to the chariot. He recognizes. He pays attention to the situation that that the Holy Spirit is putting him into. To realize that this man is reading. And and he realizes the Holy Spirit has led him to this particular encounter. And so he just asks a simple question. He doesn't start off, are you you a Christian or, or anything like that. He starts off with a simple question. He runs up to the chariot. He hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 30, he asks... Do you understand what you're reading? Now, see, sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us to a very specific action. Like, for instance, I don't know about you, but I've had the occasion a few times in my life where I just have this strong impression I'm supposed to call somebody on the phone. And, and, and I call them, and it's like they're saying, how did you know to call? I was going through something, or I was just thinking about you the very moment you called. I mean, some, some of us have had that kind of experience, haven't we? Yeah? Some of you? Yeah? Okay, I see a few hands. I'm not, I, I, yeah, there you go. It, it's, it's uncanny how that happens. Very specific. But even then, he simply orchestrates the possibility of a moment, of a God encounter. And we have to then be paying attention to be the hands and feet, the voice of Jesus to engage that person. We don't necessarily know why we're calling. We don't necessarily know what's going on, just like Philip. And so he just, he just asked a question. He doesn't know at this point if the man understands what he's reading or not. But it was, it was a good question. It was an appropriate question. On one hand, not ambiguous. On the other hand, not overbearing, not pushy. And verse 31, the Ethiopian replies, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. 
And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip takes advantage of the door that the Holy Spirit has opened by bringing him to this place, by bringing the Ethiopian into this place and and telling Philip he doesn't understand and what's more, he could use someone to explain it to him. I mean, that is what we call a divine appointment. And it all began with Philip simply obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit. He did not know who he would meet, where he would meet him, what he would meet them about. He simply obeyed. This is a guy who'd been, he felt like he'd been pretty timid about his faith. He'd been kind of felt really, it was tough for him to speak up. So yet he, he was trying to grow in his faith and he felt the spirit leading him to be more open about it and to be open to helping others. So he, he prayed that God would give him an opportunity to talk to someone about his faith that particular day. Well, he gets on the bus to head to downtown to go to work. And at the next stop, a big man gets on probably looks like a a biker and and he's huge and and very intimidating and this guy looks at him and he's scared to death and he just tries to pay no attention to this guy but as soon as the bus starts up the biker starts to cry i mean he breaks down into some tears and some 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 quiet sobs and then he says i need jesus in my life is there anybody here around me that can help me that can can tell me about Jesus, that can talk to me about him. And the guy's sitting there. And finally he just looks up and said, God, is this a sign? Many of us are kind of timid like that guy. You know, maybe we feel inadequate. Maybe we feel like we don't have anything to give, anything to offer, anything to say. Maybe we don't understand, we're, we're afraid we're going to look stupid. Or crazy. We're not sure. But we just sense God wants to work. Uh, you know, and, and it won't be the case always that another person's going to be as open as that biker was. Asking. Or, or the Ethiopian. Though at times they are. Because, and here's what we often forget or don't know or overlook. Is the Holy Spirit who has brought us to this moment who has opened our mind, our heart to the possibility of doing something, has also been working in the other person as well. You see, we tend to think that it's, it's only me. It's all about me. It's what's going on around me. But notice here that the Ethiopian has had his Bible open. The Ethiopian is, is reading. He's reading a passage about the Messiah at precisely the moment Philip approaches the chariot. Guys, it is never just up to us. And, and I say that for myself to hear, as well as probably for many of us in this room to hear. Because sometimes I can get so self-conscious. I don't want to weird somebody out. I don't want to freak them out. I don't want to look like one of those people. At least it feels that way sometimes. But I forget. I, 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 I think it's all about me. I think I think. And, and I don't remember, I don't realize that just as God has put a leading on my heart, he could be speaking to that person too. He could have been working through many people over weeks or months or years in that person's life. And I've seen them in other settings and I, I don't think there's any interest at all. But little do I know that there's a storm brewing in, on the inside. Little do I know that, that God has been working him through a crisis of faith. 
Little do I know that something's just happened in their life. Someone's gotten sick. Someone's struggling in a relationship that they don't know how to deal with. And they're open to listening to what God has to say in a way that, that even two days earlier would not have been the case. And the Holy Spirit has created this divine appointment between me and that person, between you and another person that maybe I never saw coming. And, and it doesn't mean that the Spirit isn't just working in all kinds of people around us. That may, we may be one of a dozen people he's using to speak into someone else's life. And our actions matter. Now, I don't mean to say that if you don't respond, God is up the creek without a paddle. God has lots of ways to accomplish his will. But the thing is, am I going to be a part of it? Am I going to get a chance to, to join in? Because, see, when I join in, it's a step of faith. It's, it's an opportunity for me to go beyond my comfort zone. It's an opportunity for me to, to do something I haven't been doing. And those are precisely the moments that God uses to grow faith. God doesn't grow our faith when we're just standing around and everything's comfortable. God grows our faith when we're challenged. Just as nobody is challenged by doing a push-up with a, a, a two-pound bar. You know, you're challenged when it pushes you past your normal limit. And that's where the strength begins to build. You're challenged when you, you walk farther or run farther than you had before or at a faster rate than you did before. That's where the, the growth comes. And the same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. He, he opens a door, not only for their sake, but to grow us. The Holy Spirit wants to grow us increasingly into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so he gives us opportunities to exercise our faith just as he uses us to reach someone else. It's a both and. It's not an either or. But if you and I fail to respond, in that moment our faith may wither a little bit. And God goes to somebody else to open the door. And somebody will respond. Because God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the passage goes on, verse 32. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent. This is from Isaiah. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And that passage, he finishes reading that passage. And then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And he's reading here from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, as we said. Part of a, a larger passage that began in chapter 52, verse 13, and goes all the way to the end of chapter 53. And in fact, it would become one of the most significant Old Testament passages that New, the New Testament apostles would write about with passages like this in that from Isaiah. Uh, earlier verses, it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. 
Now, any follower of Jesus in that day and time would have immediately said, that's Jesus. Listen to how it recounts what happened on Good Friday. It's it's the story of his life. The only thing is, it was written 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. And yet it is incredible how God used it to speak about the coming crucifixion and death of his servant. And God used it. His purpose was always behind it. Isaiah was writing about a servant who suffers for the sake of others and takes the sins of Israel and the world upon himself. And this Ethiopian wonders, who's he talking about? And Philip and the early church were already interpreting this passage as prophetic about the Messiah, about Jesus. And through him, this this world-changing transformation had begun. And now, with the Ethiopian asking, who is this the prophet is talking about? See how the door is opened? From a simple question, from a simple leading. Now, who is the prophet talking about? Philip has the perfect opportunity to witness to the Ethiopian. And so, in verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, do you think he had that passage in mind as he was coming down the road? Do you think that that, that was, he knew that, that God was going to We don't know, but odds are he didn't. What you see is this incredible coincidence that really isn't a coincidence. It's God working. The Holy Spirit has brought the Ethiopian and and Philip together on this desolate road between Jerusalem and Gaza at the precise moment that the Ethiopian from a land 500 miles away is reading one of the most significant passages about the work of the Messiah and Philip just happens to overhear what he's saying and actually know what it means. The Spirit uses Philip's witness to convict the Ethiopian that he needs to repent of his sins and confess his faith in Jesus Christ. And so it says, verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. And we read further, we'll see that Philip heads up the coastal plain to Caesarea north, uh, continuing to preach the gospel. The Ethiopian continues on home, but now he's filled with this joy because he has welcomed the Messiah that he has been reading about, studying about. He has welcomed him into his life and now has the Holy Spirit living in him. And the Holy Spirit would use him powerfully. We read in the second century from the church father, Irenaeus, he would write about this Ethiopian becoming as he returned a missionary to the nation of Ethiopia. Imagine, he never dreamed when he left Ethiopia that he would learn of the Messiah, that he would come back and God would use him to plant the seeds of Christianity, of of faith across this whole country. A seemingly chance encounter on a desolate road in the middle of nowhere by a persecuted Christian and an Ethiopian official 500 miles from home would lead to the evangelization of Ethiopia. But we know that the Holy Spirit supernaturally led Philip to go and make a disciple of this particular Ethiopian. 
not everybody else at this point, just this one, baptizing him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had commissioned all of his followers to do. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to do that in each and every one of us, to use us right where we are to be his witnesses, to open doors for us, to, for the Spirit to, to, whether it's reading Scripture or it's through a conversation with somebody else or something that He impresses directly into our mind, to be His witnesses, to open the door for them to know God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, to lead me to love God and love my, my neighbor with all my heart, mind, and soul and strength so that I go and make a disciple for Jesus Christ as His commission tells us to do. And and maybe it's talking about Jesus, but maybe it's just helping someone understand how to read a particular passage in the Bible, like Philip did. Or maybe it's just being a listening ear in a a tough time in in someone's life when they're going through some troubles. And, And you don't, in that occasion, you don't bring up God or Jesus at all. You just listen and you, you love on them and you walk them through the experience. Or maybe they're going through a tough time in a relationship and you're there to be with them in the midst of that. It's recognizing that the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us who have confessed our faith in Jesus Christ. And He is always at work in you and me to lead us to become more and more like Jesus We become Jesus because the Jesus listened to the Spirit. We listen to the Spirit, but we also act on what the Spirit does. And that is also a part of how He grows us. To love neighbor and to serve them in whatever way develops. And so the real question for you and me, the questions are these. Do I want to be used by the Spirit? And that's a serious question. Because that means your life is not your own. You are, Scripture says, for those of us who have who have become Christians, we were bought for a price. Our life is no longer our own. For some of us, that's really hard because we want to be in control. We think, I got I to gotta control my life. I got to control the situations around me. And so you and I have to hear, do I want to be used by the Spirit? And, and then, if, if I do, am I listening for the Spirit? Because the Spirit sometimes speaks very loudly, but sometimes very quietly. And I have to be seeking Him and looking for Him and, and listening for Him through Scripture, through spending time with Him. Or He may speak and it just goes right over the top. Because I've done no work, no effort to, to prepare myself. Again, it's, it's like... If, if I say tomorrow, I want to run a marathon by the end of this week. Yeah, that's, it's, 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 it's even funnier than that. There's, there's, no, don't be sorry. That's exactly right. It's, it's ridiculous. I have to train. I have to prepare myself to go a little farther, to go a little faster, to, to build up endurance. And that's exactly what happens in our spiritual faith. That's why Paul wrote Timothy. He said, we need to be in training. We don't just hear the Spirit's voice because we suddenly decide to. We have to want to. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to listen to Scripture because a lot of times that's where He'll speak through. So 
Do I want to be used by the Spirit? Am I listening for the Spirit? And then the big one really is, am I willing to act when I sense the Spirit leading me? Regardless of what it may be. It may be to stop somebody in the store and say, looks like you're having a hard time. Is there anything I can do for you? It may be to ask a tough question of a family member. It may be looking for an opportunity for that guy or that that girl at work where some things just don't seem right. And I don't know what they're going to say. But am I willing to act when I sense the Spirit leading me? And, And here's the bottom line, guys. I'm not responsible for the results. See, that's what's different about this. We often think, if I do something, I'm responsible. I'm the one. If it doesn't work, it's my fault. No, I am not responsible for the results. I'm only responsible for my obedience. You're only responsible for your obedience. And how God chooses to work, who knows? Maybe you will be the one that helps someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. Or you'll be the one that helped them through a a crisis in, in, in a relationship. Or maybe you're one who piques their interest and they don't even tell you. And it's weeks or months later before someone else the Holy Spirit is working through brings them to that conclusion. And I can look at it and I can say, I didn't do any good. In fact, I embarrassed myself. And we don't want to do that, do we? But then we're not being used by the Spirit. We're not being grown by the Spirit. And I guarantee you, the Spirit wants to work in and through every single one of us in here right now, even today. No exception. None. Don't turn and look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. You may or may not see the results of what you feel led by the Spirit to do. I mean, let's be honest. But by faith, you can trust that anything you or I do that's faithful to the Spirit will impact eternity. Because He is always working in all kinds of ways through all kinds of people. The Spirit will use whatever He has to use each one of us, no matter where we are on our spiritual journeys. We, I, don't have to be, I don't have to be a fully devoted follower. If I'm new on this journey and I feel a leading, I should respond because He knows that. And He knows what I'm capable of doing. And He will put me in a position where that will be what's needed. No matter where we are, but the more we invest in our relationship with Jesus Christ, the more we spend time with Him by reading our Bibles, by praying, by being in worship, by being in community with other Christians through smaller groups, and by serving like many of us do every Sunday here and many of us will be doing next Sunday for All Out Serve, the better prepared we'll be, the more attuned we will be to His voice, and the more He can use us then to be His hands, His feet. His voice. Galatians 5 puts it this way. The Apostle Paul wrote, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, in other words, what I want, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Amen. That's, That's the kind of life I want. And that's the kind of life I want for you. For every single one of you. That's not hyperbole. It's not pie in the sky. It's not something I can do. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's only what the Spirit can do. But that is what He wants to do in you. So that He can use you for His purposes, for His kingdom. To share with others so that they too can come to faith in Jesus And experience the rich and abundant life that he promises all who are his disciples. That's where he he calls us. The Holy Spirit. Yes, there are other things about the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get hung up on some of the the minutiae. But the truth is the Holy Spirit is God. Who loves you. And if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, he lives in you. For the purpose of of transforming you increasingly into the image and likeness of Jesus so that you and I can love God and love our neighbors and be used by him to make disciples for Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Jesus said. That's what he desires. And that's what he created us for if we let him do that in our lives. Even today, maybe even in this service, some of you felt a leading. Or sometime today. Don't dismiss it. Act on it. Let Him work in you and through you. For the glory of God. And for the sake of the world. Our prayer team is going to be down here. If you need to talk to somebody, they'd love to do that. And they'll be kind of further out because we're going to be doing communion in just three or four minutes, okay? So if you're in the risers, we invite you to come down to the the floor level. And uh, if you have children, please go pick them up first and come back and bring them with you. The children are welcome to participate. Uh, We would love for them to be a part of that as well. And so that'll be beginning uh, in, in three or four minutes here, um, back here in, in this area with uh, a, a brief program and then the actual serving of communion. If you're a guest today, uh, I'm going to be out these doors with some friends. We'd love to say hello to you and, and welcome you today to our church. Would you join me? Let's pray. Gracious God, we come here today because we believe your spirit is at work and working in us. We, we may not even have been able to put that in words before. And we may still struggle with how can he work in me. But he does. He will. He loves us. He wants the best for us. And wants to use us for your glory. 
So, Father, help us to listen for your spirit, to seek him out and obey him. Whether he speaks to us through scripture, through a conversation with another, or through some direct impression, help us to be constantly aware that you are with us. It's the promise of, of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. And in the Spirit, you are in us to transform us for your purposes. Help us to obey. Help us to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.